No Simple Road is stoked to have Sunset Lake CBD back with us as our sponsor. Sunset Lake is the real deal. If you've looked around trying to find CBD and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do, this is the place you need to go. They've got every kind of product you can imagine, including CBD tinctures with sleep gummies that are great for getting to bed, CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews that can help bring you a little bit of calm in a stressful day. They've got salve. They've got smokable hemp flower that's great for folks like me that don't want to get stoned and paranoid, but want to have the benefits of cannabis. Well, now you got it. And they even carry CBD products for your pets, man. I'm saying this is Darwin approved stuff. Go over to sunsetlakecbd.com and check out the full range of what they have. This is Vermont grown right to your door and they're giving you 20% off. So put in the promo code NSR20 when you're checking out, you're going to get 20% off your whole order. And I know you're going to love it. They even have subscription options open for you. So you don't forget to get your medicine. Go check out Sunset Lake CBD, everybody. Why can't every day be like this? No simple road. Yeah, no, I've been on that road too. need your talk therapy yeah Yeah. yes my mom's really been needing mine over the last three four years that's one thing my mom never does dude your mom never is she uh, i said this the other day your mom is literally on another level hey now no support family this is aaron (laughs) this is mel and apple we are here with darwin yes we're with another edition of the no simple road weekly rewind brought to you in collaboration with mel premium mushroom chocolates First step, go follow at Melt Mushrooms, M-E-L-T-M-U-S-H-R-O-O-M-S on Instagram. Next step, check out the amazing nine different flavored bar, mushroom chocolate bars they have. They have little singles now. They even have capsules. Yeah, minis. minis. Sorry. Melt minis. Melt minis. There is four grams of their sacred mushroom blend in every regular size bar, plus a bunch of adaptogenics and other stuff. So what you're going to do is you're going to shoot them a DM and you're going to say, Hey, no simple road told me about you guys. You're going to get a menu from them then you can make your order and they'll deliver it right to your house. And you're going to get 30% off a bar. So go, go, 30%? go over there. Follow that's at a, Melt Mushrooms. That's no joke. No, it's no joke. And it's family taking care of family. That's what that's about. You know what else is no joke? What? We have an actual like guest for the No Simple Road Weekly Rewind. Yeah, this is something special. This is actually one of, I'm excited, even though I was a part of this conversation, I'm really looking forward to hearing it because- We talked about a lot. We covered a lot of ground. And when I first met Blake, well, I met him, we met him a lot of- Wait, wait, Oh, wait, we have to say who it is? The guest on our show is Blake. Blake. It's Blake. Blake Boris Schechter. I think that's how you say it. Blake, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name. Yeah, if I fucked it up, Blake, I apologize. But Blake. He is the owner and purveyor of one of our favorite venues in Portland, which you've heard us talk about many times, The Get Down. The Get Down. So if if you've ever, like, wondered what it was like to own a venue, 
you're going to know after this. Yes. If you've ever wondered what it was like to make sound right in a venue, you're going to know after this. If you ever wondered how ticketing works and why it's fucked, you're going <laughs> to know after know. this. He is all about the industry that he's in. And you want to know something cool? I saw um, on Instagram, it was this guy. He like stops people that are either cool or driving a nice car or whatever. And it's like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Can I ask you a couple of questions? And no. he's like, most people just kind of walk <laughs> away. But this guy was like talking. He was like, you know, his success or whatever. He's like, can I just ask, you know, a couple of questions about your success? And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, what business were you? And he's like, told him what business he was in. He's like, what would you what what advice would you give somebody just starting out? He's like, be an expert in what you're talking That's about. Blake for sure. And this is what Blake is about. He knows what he's talking about. The get down was years and years in the making. Yeah, this, was, this, this is, is a this, dream of his. Yeah, this is a brainchild. Yeah, and so to be able to talk to somebody who has birthed their dream and is still going at it, and it is not easy. It is not easy owning a venue. No. It's not easy owning any kind of commercial property. It's not easy doing a podcast. No, it's not. But it's no um, simple road. He, <laughs> this is a, a great conversation, and we had an awesome time in the studio. It was like an evening. It was Blake. Blake is is one of those people that is always on. Yeah, like yeah. every time I've seen him, he is a hundred percent going anytime and I, and I don't mean that he doesn't give you his full attention that's what I was about to say I, every time I've interacted with him whether he's on or no. whatever he's always been it's like 100% personal present. yep yeah, present he's, he's one of the most engaging people I've ever met and, and that, like, that that kind of um intentionality and passion for just the moment really does overflow into running the venue and the way that it's done and everything that he did there so Y'all, this is a, you're in for a this treat. This is a really, really fun, interesting. When this was, we were done with the conversation. I felt like I had gone to like a college, like a one hundred and one, a TED talk. And he said to like, like he shares a lot of information here, but it's still like he says towards the end of this, it like just scratched the surface. He could do a full podcast on each of the subjects. Oh yeah. And okay. everything so, so knowledgeable in all these fields that go into running a successful club and when, dealing with everything. When um, Joe was taught his friend Joe, which we had on a couple weeks back, um, was talking about him when we were at the Flaming Lips concert mm -hmm. and then he just blake just happens, happens to, to walk up. up and we had met him before but that was this <laughs> second time was like the time where we actually like got to like talk to him for a minute and after that interaction i was like i want him on the show i want to talk to him about the ticketing he's so passionate about it and like you know if you just say ticketing that's not the most like interesting Ooh, subject ticketing. in the world yeah. but his passion makes it the most interesting subject in yep. the world yeah. you know yep. people like this like Blake is doing exactly what he was put on this earth yes. for. And, and it's evident. Thank you, Blake, for all the beautiful, fun times that you have cultivated for all, every, of, us. all of us. You know, even waiting out in the line outside of in, at the get down is fun. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so I just want to say kudos and congratulations and thank you and, for and also, um, hanging. Blake, thank you for being a friend of No Simple Road. Yeah. Not just the three of us individually and together, but like. 
a friend of the show and allowing us to do the No Simple Road holiday get down from the get down. Yeah, he helped us craft that from that the beginning thing. to that end. Was, yeah, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. No. And without his help, we wouldn't have been able to. And it was it a success. And it was, we're bummed that you couldn't make it, but it was such a success and so fun to do. And honestly, like, it being at the get down, it was the best venue we could have ever had. Yep. Like if we could have picked any venue in the town in in Portland, yeah. that's the th- one. That's the perfect well, one for us. And, and you'll hear it get a whole. Like, I I was not aware of what Meyer Sound was. Nor nor was I. We talked about this, so it's education and like top of the line sound system. And I was saying, man, Mayor. the place is <laughs> it's amazing. Definitely not Mayor Sound. It's not. No, no Johnny Salami. That's like the, the knockoff of Meyer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the baloney. Um, you know, uh, right now, in the future, <laughs> right now, in the future, you and I are on the beach in Mexico. No. Yes. Is it's this Monday. coming out on Monday? Yeah. Not not tomorrow, Monday. Oh, the other, yeah, the, oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the next Monday. You and I are on the beach in Mexico right now. We have... Just had four spent, days of oh, fish. Oh, did we just just did I just have my seaweed wrap? Yeah, you you just went to my the spa. skin is glowing. Uh huh. I feel soft as Jasper's cute little feet. I I'm asleep <laughs> in a in a chaise lounge under a palm tree, and I'm perfectly hydrated. My <laughs> I just thinking about fishes, creative, fun, cool, uh, silly time, and. Looking forward to the flight back to come visit my adorable little four-legged son. Yeah, our dog's Darby. gonna miss us. Yeah, um, he, that, that's okay. Unky Appy's gonna yeah. be spoiling him. He's gonna come out. We're gonna get here. He's gonna be like twenty pounds <laughs> heavier. Yeah. <laughs> With gas, all bloaty. Like, like, Poor little knees are all like. You guys are back already. <laughs> shit. shit. So, so I have just one question. How was that churro, Aaron? How dude, I'm gonna tell you, the latte at the airport on the way there. Stand, it's a standout. It's a standout, but a close second is is the churro that I had in the future. Ooh, and that hat that Andrew pulled off was yeah, incredible. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're being silly. We are Sorry. being silly. We're we're projecting. You know into that the no future. simple road is serious business, and let's yeah, let's continue to be serious. Yeah, we'll get the real yeah. recap yeah. once they yeah. get, once they get back and recuperate Recover. a little. Yeah. Okay, um, Aaron. Yo. What was your favorite thing about the interview? With Blake? Yeah. Hmm. Learning about the sound and how they did the sound in the get down. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Apple? I, I the same thing, <laughs> but course. to but to top that was was Blake giving us the like the <laughs> The personal invite to come down sometime oh, yeah. when the club's not open to listen to some of like some classic favorite albums Vent, on yeah, the sound yeah. system while like laying in the middle of the floor, you know, that that that, that is really exciting. No. And are you done, Apple? Aaron's cutting everybody off. Oh, Are you that no. fast? Yeah, yeah, no, th- no, that's it. That, I mean, I mean basically, <laughs> basically down, the dude. entire conversation, just learning the knowledge mm-hmm. that Blake has and his passion for everything that he does and always does it with a smile. Aw. He true. is. That's he true. is always, is, even if it's not on his face, his eyes smile. That's true. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Blake, you're a sweetie Petey. Um, okay, mine is twofold. Um, first thing was Blake's hair. Second thing was his um story about Jam Cruise. 
Okay. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Go. That was a good story. Yes. Be and on the lookout. Yep. And uh, yeah, just uh, the whole thing. Thank you again, Blake. We No Simple Road is a fan of Blake and the Get Down. Yeah, man. And this is a this is a perfect thing for the No Simple Road weekly rewind because it's basically just us hanging out with a friend. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and shooting the shit and learning some stuff. So that's what the rewind is all about. And I think this is a perfect representation of that. Yeah. So, see, you're Aaron. welcome, Aaron. Yeah. Thanks, Mel. So <laughs> we are going to do the business and get you there. How about that? You know, by now, okay. Where to follow us. Yeah. At No Simple Road. You can go to our website. It's nosimpleroad.com. We have merch. We we have tarot readings. You can get a tarot reading. But those the, are fun. The most important thing, seriously, right now is our Patreon. We really need people to join the Patreon and get involved in the community that's being built over there. It's really dope and it's an extension of us. So if you're a fan of No Simple Road and you're not already part of Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash No Simple Road, sign up for a buck, or you can even sign up for free and see what's going on. Check it out, poke around, and then decide if you want to do it. And just help us out, man. That's how we make money on this show besides the sponsorships and... um you know, that's the way the, it works. The second most important thing is leaving a five-star review. It's super important because that whatever dumb algorithm, whatever it does, it shows people that may like the show. Hey, look at these people. Look at what they've written about the show. So we need those. Though That's almost as important as Patreon because the more ears that listen to the show the more people we will have join the community and it grows yep. and the mycelial help us with grows. our exposure so yep. yeah but most of all everybody just tell somebody you love about no simple road that that is that's really the way it works when you hear something from somebody that you trust and love that it's cool then most likely you're going to dig it too so you should tell somebody yeah. about the show and then they can tell somebody and then they tell somebody and again and it just keeps rolling. Well, then one more thing that's fun is 971-808-1524, which is our tepid line. Yeah, you got three minutes. You can call that thing, leave a message. You got three minutes to do whatever you want. You could tell a joke, sing a song. Um, I don't know. Tell us a campfire story. Tell me a ghost story. Tell me something paranormal that happened. Tell us your favorite album. Tell yeah, me about the time you got review, abducted by show aliens. review. I, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Tell us that you got this cute little puppy and the, the name and where you got it and like... Whatever, you whatever the, is you fun. Get, you get the idea. Yeah. Open mic. 971-808-1524. And that is that. Let's get them to Blake. All right. Um, I was just going to throw out real quick, too. If you're interested in what they're doing at the Get Down, you can go on the web. Go to thegetdownpdx.com and over on Instagram at getdownpdx. Yeah, there is definitely something dope happening most nights of the week over there. So yeah. if, you know. Go their, check out the calendar. Their calendar is full of fun. Yeah, for sure. I say that's one thing. Well, this will this will be after I go do that. But Friday night, I'm going to see Banshee Tree and Yak Attack Woo! on Friday night. That's going to be fun. And yeah. they just had La Special and Sponge, which is another right. double trouble trio. Yeah, man. The, trio. Well, well, I mean, kind of double right. trouble, trouble duo. Duo. Thank you. you. I, I didn't. I don't know why I said trio. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of the special. I was, yeah, I was, I was thinking yeah. of the special, but then I, that's leaving and Sponge course, out. And Sean McLean had to sit in with, with, <laughs> with the special. Yeah. Yes. All right. Here we go. Without further ado, the No Simple Road crew gives you Blake. Blake. Okay, so, okay. You know, so I had this uh, 
almost eight years, but I'm older than that. <laughs> so um, I had this haircut when I was way younger, um, like when growing up, like my mom just, that's yeah, that was your... that she was looking for. <laughs> and then middle school, I wanted to be cool. So I, you know, cut the hair and, you know, did the, I thought, you know, this is what the thing that's going to make me cool, blah, blah, blah. And so I ended up that um, in was like 10th or 11th grade, my friends had this like intervention and they, were like, <laughs> like, and they were like, we don't think that your hair matches your personality. They were like, we think that you should bring back the fro. Because they had seen the, the pictures. And like yes. a group of them, like four of them, like clo- close friends of mine all got together. Like, we really, we just want to see it. We think you hair bring intervention. It back. Yeah, there was like That's a hair awesome. intervention. They were like, That's we think great. you should bring it back. We think it matches. <laughs> like, you look way too serious. Like, we think that yeah. like, this will match you better. And I was like, you guys are really passionate about this. <laughs> They're like, yes, like we really want to see it. That's I was like, hilarious. okay, fine, I'll bring it back. So <laughs> I rocked the fro from whatever it was, 10th, 10th 11th grade around then, uh-huh. all the way through to um, when I moved out to San Francisco to start my kind of career. And I was like, okay, corporate environment. Can't, can't rock the fro. I'm, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring, you Get know, serious cut, it, cut again. it back. And so the fro was gone for, you know, probably, I don't know, I guess uh, four or five years, basically post-college. So it got to be like four or five years. So anyways, Beth sees pictures of me with this hair <laughs> after the first year of us dating or two years or something. Maybe even three, and she, yeah, because it was there was some crossover there with yeah. Libby in San Francisco uh, and dating her, and so she was just like, I really, I want to see it, <laughs> and so it was kind of a similar thing where I was just like, well, like that part's yeah. kind of gone, blah blah blah, like that was before. She's like, no, like I think it'd be really fun, and, you know. I was just like, you know, as we were down there, I'm like no, 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 and then we move up here, and it's cold again. And it's yeah. like, you know, like maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just leave it. And so I just didn't come. And one of my logic behind it is like, I think one of the easiest things I could do for, for my partner is just not cut my hair. It was kind of my, yeah. my logic. Yeah. My Less logic. maintenance and she'll yeah, dig it. Like. Exactly. So I did it for winter and then I got sick of it towards, you know, when summer came on. So I cut it. Yeah. And then I let it go long in for another winter and now just become a seasonal thing. That's so right. So we know that next winter, Blake will have the fro rock back. I like that because it gives you a little different look. It gives you a variety, right? you know, yeah. some spice. There's the awkward phases though on both sides yes. that aren't as fun. Oh, yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you put up with them. So how long, how much is this growth? Like how many months? This is, so I probably stopped cutting it around uh, probably late, Probably mid September is probably the last okay, time I yeah, got it. Yeah, it grows good, pretty fast. Yeah, that's yeah. a good amount. In yeah. case, in case all of you listening are wondering who the fro belongs to, <laughs> we're we're sitting with Blake Boris Schachter. He is the owner entrepreneur of the best goddamn venue here in Portland, Oregon, the Get Down. The get Down, and uh, yeah, man. We're stoked to have you hanging out with us. What tonight. else did we leave out, Blake? Anything else that people need to know that you do or that you are? Well, loaded. Um, but I think for our immediate purposes, that's great. Okay. I'd say my main identification at this juncture is that. All right. <laughs> but All but right. still appreciate it. Yes. All right. <laughs> so, Blake, the, the Get Down obviously is our favorite place to see a show here in Portland. Obviously. Um, and yeah. And... <laughs> There's a lot of reasons why. Um, yeah. It, before we knew you, we felt like that. Yeah. Um, that is true. You've cultivated something really special there. And uh, 
it's very intentional. You know what I mean? After talking to you, you really, you had a vision for what that place was going to feel like and sound like and look like and all of it. Can you take me through that just a little bit and tell them like a little bit of what the vision was for the get down in the beginning? Sure. So, you know, that space specifically, I think there were some things that were kind of principles that I went into the get down with the intention of doing. And then I think there's also what that space was able to be. And I looked at, you know, over a hundred spaces in Portland and, you know, that particular space when I walked into it, I mean, it's one of the closest showcases of true love that I've ever personally experienced. Like I knew when I walked in to those doors that this was the right one. And I think it's for a lot of the reasons that other people just from a layout perspective really love about it. It creates a separate space to really dig into the music and enjoy it Mm -hmm. and separates different areas for different experiences like being able to talk to friends or be able to sit down and take a break or be able to get a drink while still adjacent to the experience, but Mm -hmm. creates this separate intentional, Hey, I'm going to experience the music now while not making it so that you're so, um, you know, you're pulled away by, Oh, these people, you know, talking or the bar operating or all these other things you get to be immersed and you actually walk down a small set of stairs to get to that moment. And it's kind of a nice circumstance as well with just the name, which came up oh, about. Shit. So <laughs> I never even put that together. That you get down to the get down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually came up with the name 10 years ago, way before that space, but something that I noticed was like, Oh, you actually get down into it. It works really well for it. But then you do it again to get down into the dance floor section. And so it has all this purposeful nature that, just was, you know, somewhat, um, uh, there's a word for this. Um, uh, there's a whole movie on it and I can't think of it. So, uh, something when it's, uh, it's not ironic, but it's like, it's, uh, Uh-oh. I can't think of it either. Um, Synchronistic. Yeah. There's a, there's a mood. <laughs> sure. Let's Synchronicity. Go Synchronicity. Sir, yes. Sir, Serendipity. Serendipity. That's yeah. the one I was going for. Okay. Thank you. Winner. With John Cusack. Wait, here we go. Wait, I can name the cast too. Oh. <laughs> John, John, John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale are the stars in that one. Yes, yes, Great yes. holiday movie. Um, oh. So in the last year, I mean, how many shows have been at the get down in the last year? We just did the post on this. I think that it was 132 shows. Yeah. Okay. Who's your favorite that came through? Like personally, your jam. In the last year in general? In the last last year. In the last year, favorite that I love the most. Um, I mean, I love Cut Chemist. His forty, mm. his forty-five set is probably my favorite set that's been at the Get Down for this year, um, which was amazing. It was this, uh, <coughs> basically, it was the fi- it's you know it's fifty years of hip hop, and so uh, he decided to come out to the Get Down uh, with, you know, his forty-fives, which was a big deal because if people know somewhat of his history in playing in Portland, he had a show decades ago. I'm not sure exactly when it was but he flew out to do a 45 set and his 
45s were stolen. <gasps> oh, oh, shit. Not lost at bat. They claimed lost, but it ended up being this whole thing. And so it was, you know, these very what? rare 45s. Oh, so when he came the first time, um, he came with Charlie Tuna, and that was our first year. And he said my favorite quote that's ever happened on the on the stage. And so that was our biggest show at the time. It was, was a really important one. <laughs> so it was during his uh, sound check. And I can swear on this. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he he's he does sound check. So he, you know, he like got on stage. He goes to turn on. Well, at first he's 15 minutes late because he was like, hey, I'm busy shopping for records. I'm, it's taking a little while to check out. Like right. this is this is very on brand. Um, so <laughs> I was like, it's fine. You, you're, you're allowed to be late, cut chemist, to, to, yeah. to sound check because you're shopping yeah, for but records. Portland's got dope record shops. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. Every time. It's one of the reasons he likes playing here so much. But anyways, he ends up. Um, he ends up going uh, on stage to, to, to start and plays probably two seconds of music and they stops it. And I'm in the room, of course, watching because it's a big sound check. I'm like, oh no, like something's wrong. And he gets on the talkback mic and he just goes, it sounds really fucking good in here. Y'all should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, one of my favorite things I've ever heard. But anyways, he had a great time at that show. Uh-huh. And so, um, but one of the things that he realized about, so that stage, uh, which some people probably don't know, is crafted somewhat with scratching in mind because I really, really like scratching. And one of the things that's really important with scratching is a really, really, really solid surface because mm. if you have too much vibration or interference from bass or anything like that, it's going to be a problem. So that stage is a custom build that was um, by this woodworker who ended up, um, he, he's basically a, 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 a like a furniture uh, designer most of the time. And mm-hmm. then he hired people that had done staging at like Pickathon and stuff like that, that build temporary stages. So designed by this fine furniture maker, but then done by these people who know how to do temporary staging. And so there's actually a six inch layer of rock wool across the entire top part. And then there's two tons of sand surrounding the bass trap to make sure that it doesn't oh, move. Oh, wow. Whoa. Holy shit. It's loose in there, by the way. So, like, we're going to try to be there for a long time. No one wants that stage, stage moving, I'll tell you. Wow. That. <laughs> um, but because of that, it created this really, really solid... Um, uh, foundation. And so I explained that to him when he came in, cause I always like to talk to the scratchers about that. And so he came up with this idea of like, okay, well I want to do a 45 set next. And so this was his first 45 set they had done in years. And so he ends up coming out to do that one for the 50 years of hip hop and basically does essentially an education session while he's doing it. It's like, this is where this sample is from. And so what he'd do is he'd have like the original like funk 45 of some like late seventies thing that was really hard to find. But then he'd also have the DJ shadow 45 remix of that particular song. And he, and he'd cut between. So he wasn't using like a computer to do it. He was just cutting between these 45, sessions oh, wow. but he'd use like multiple versions of the same song That's so dope it well, was awesome <laughs> to be able to find that yeah he again broke out the deep deep collection i mean he has wow. he he digs deep 45 yeah so but yeah the fact that he had gotten it stolen previously in portland and then after experiencing the to venue decided you know what i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna i'm gonna do it um i'm gonna do it here it was definitely well shout out to the get down for inspiring that because that's pretty in if an artist wants to come back 
especially after being freaking robbed of his like basically his like that's your his craft yeah his craft and then to (laughs) do that right on man what a mind what an insanely creative capable beautiful mind to be able to like in real time cut that together and make it sound like something to do that without the use of you know, computer programs, looping, samples, all of that. Like he just did just raw 45 cuts wow. and it was, I mean, amazing. Obviously and, his name well, is. And kudos, yeah. <laughs> kudos to you too for, I mean, that's some attention to detail to build the stage like that and get that done. That's dope. What? That, wow. What started your, your uh, love of music? Love of music. Um, well, so. I think a lot of people will probably um, have similar stories. At least I know multiple friends that do where when it comes to recorded music, it started with what my parents showed me. And then in my teenage years, it was rejection of what they showed me because Mm -hmm. I was too cool for that. Mm -hmm. And then it was realization later that it was actually awesome and that I should go back to it. And so for recorded music, there was a lot of that. There was, you know, when I first started falling in love, whatever I was listening to was like the thing that spoke to me and blah, blah, blah. And that was just timing. Um, I would say that I, I treat recorded music and live music as two together but very separate categories they have different Mm -hmm. lifting experiences i have different love of different versions of all of those types of things and sometimes on the mood for one and not another Mm -hmm. similar to genre but honestly it just has a different it's like a different quality it's a different thing for me and so for live music um which for me i think is where i equate to doing the get down and all of that was I, i remember the moment very specifically so i had seen I was into like Red Hot Chili Peppers. My first, uh, my first concert ever was Ozfest, mostly because I wanted to see System of a Down. Um, oh yeah! yeah. Um, and so that was great. And you know, I'd seen live music. Um, I don't know how many times at that juncture, but I was younger. I was probably like seventeen at this time, sixteen or seventeen. And my next door neighbor. Uh, still my best friend uh, to this day, or one of my best friends, uh, Eli Forrester. He, um, his mom was a reviewer for uh, the Boston Globe. Her name is Joan Anderman. She has uh, many, many articles and currently has a band. Um, but she uh, basically needed a dog sitter. <laughs> okay. And so she said, hey, Eli is going to be out of town next time Radiohead comes through. <gasps> Would you oh. like to go to Radiohead in exchange for walking the dogs? <gasps> Absolutely, I would. What? Well, so that's the logical conclusion <laughs> that I would, of course, have now. But at the time, I wasn't that into live music. It was like something that I would see. And Radiohead, I knew Karma Police and Creep. That of was course, yeah. yeah. That's what we all knew. <laughs> all day, yeah. And so I asked my friends, should I go? And like most of them were like, yes, you absolutely should go. And so we listened. I remember being in my basement, just listening to OK Computer. But I was listening to OK Computer while like talking with friends. It wasn't, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have any experience like that. And so, but I was like, sure, I'll go. Um, and I also blamed Joan for the fact that I probably ended up wanting to own music venues and run them because, you know, she spoiled me out the gate. Like this was one of my first concerts and I was sixth row dead center for oh radio. She, she worked for the globe and she was a music reviewer. So every time I'd go to a show with her, like I went to Crosby stills and Nash and just sat below Steven stills in the photo pit for the first like three songs. Because oh again, you get spoiled for that wow. type of stuff. Right. But anyways, for Radiohead. um, they opened up a two plus two equals five. It was on their um, Hail the Thief tour. And 
I literally had like the, the, the moment that happens in movies. Like it was like the world just disintegrated around me and I was just absolutely just blown away. It was the first time that music had gotten me like that. Went home, got all their albums, like, <laughs> like all of like just total obsession. And it just triggered this whole thing. And that's one of the reasons I do like to separate it because while I think that it was a slow build for um, recorded music and that I en- ended up liking different parts of recorded music and different things that I got attracted to. There was one moment with Radiohead mm. that just literally turned something that was probably a three to a 10, like, Whoa. like in, in one song pretty much. Yeah. No, I, they I, are I, that, that open, kind of That band. opening song or was it another song in the, and they did that and okay. to sit down, stand up the first two off the album. Um, and then they had timed, it was the third or fourth song, um, of the, of the set. Um, but they timed sail to the moon to happen right when the full moon was starting to rise <gasps> behind the stage. And it was just, again, just one of those, just like the whole thing is euphoric. Like I remember it. What venue is this? This is Tweeter Center in M- Mansfield, Mass, I guess. Okay. Outside Boston. It's basically every, it's it's Shoreline. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. It's wow. every outdoor. It's every outdoor amphitheater right. type thing, except it takes three hours to get out of the parking lot there. <laughs> Or at least it did, probably still does. You I don't know, know why it would have improved. You just said something <laughs> that, that really made something make sense to me that I've never thought about it that way. Is like, I mean, I've talked about my first Grateful Dead show on this show a million times. And I had that experience at that show. Like, mind-opening explosion changed my whole life thing. But I never thought about, like, Prior to that, I'd been to a million concerts. Like, we'd seen Metallica and Ozzy and Santana and everything. But that was just going to a concert. This was different. This was where live music became a living thing. And I, it, the experience happened. That was the first time I felt that. And I think that experience, it, it's religious. That's a religious experience. I think that that's partially what people are talking about when they or spiritual. Meet, yeah. Uh, yeah. Spiritual. Mm-hmm. Like when they meet a guru and they have that head opening experience. And I, I think that that is a, I don't know, man. I feel like if you haven't had that, that like, it's like going through life, not seeing life in color almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell you, thinking of that, like he said, and I mean, we all talked about that aha moment with the dead and stuff. I was like, my first one that I remember was Rush, moving pictures at the Aladdin Theater. When my when my when my sister had to take me with oh, her shit. and her friends, yeah, yeah. and I loved Rush. I had a huge poster on my wall, and I got to go see Red and hearing them do Tom Sawyer live, and hearing that whole album in its entirety. That would be dope. I, would be like, <laughs> I was just like, I would, I was. 12 13 and just like like puberty age like boner for the music <laughs> like i gotta go and my sister didn't want me to go but like her three hot friends were with her were oh jimmy so i got like this treatment the young kid and then to see neil pert doing a drum solo was like oh you know the, having that experience gives you a different kind of outlook i would think owning a venue because you want to 
craft a space for people to be able to have that themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I care about so much for the get down is, you know, I think that live music and the venue that you're seeing it in is such an important relationship. Mm. Like bad venues, just like a bad sound system or just like someone talking directly in your ear the entire Uh. time, it will ruin your experience. And we want to create as seamless a as seamless an experience in terms of creating a best place for you to have enjoyment as possible as long as that enjoyment's not uh, hindering someone else's enjoyment right yes. you know that's that's really what we want and you know that starts with you know all of all of the staff that it starts with the you know the state of the bathrooms that starts with how quickly it takes to get a drink as much as we possibly can and great sound and room to dance and all of those things that are so important and the thing is like i also believe that that happens on the opposite side that people don't see that's so important i remember um having uh having everyone orchestra there and that was like the fourth show that we had and the band was just a little bit tired. They'd played the night before they had all like had to drive, like all of that. And like, I saw some tiredness in them when they were first there. And I, I saw that pick up as they got the experience that they necessarily, they they didn't know the venue at all. They were all Mm. local musicians and Mm -hmm. they just experienced the new, but experienced the positive, like, Oh, the stage is really nice. Or, Oh, this place is nice. Oh, this green room is nice. And I saw them pick up the intensity of how interested they not necessarily were I'm, they're all professionals. I'm sure they would have done great anyways, but I think excitement or, you know, someone being passionate about, you know, Oh, I, I, I'm really happy to be here. That comes from the audience, but it also comes to the artists. And then when that can oh, combine, yeah. that's where you get the best experiences. Like there's a, like I'm a, a big red rocks fan and I've been to many shows there and so many of the shows that I've seen there when I've seen bands, it's one of their best performances mm-hmm. that I've yep. seen. And that's not out of chance. That's because the artist is excited. It's because the audience brings that excitement to them. So, you know, we're not going to be Red Rocks, but we can be a place that people get really excited to go to on both sides, both the artists. Again, for someone like Cut Chemist to have the, the, you know, having played so many venues, but be like, I really like this one and being excited about coming. I mean, even even the 45 set, to go back to it, he told me so he most when he most recently came he was so excited to be there um for um for the one that he was currently at but he also talked about the last one because he was just like you know i tried it at a lot of other places and this one was the best one he was like maybe it was the first he was like maybe it was the first one maybe it was because it was the first one but I think it was kind of something about this place. And so for him to say something like that, again, it's like very humbling, but it's also something that is thought out and curated. I want people to be excited to walk into the room from both sides of the aisle, because I think that's where you get the magic. Well, I mean, these artists are playing multiple venues in countless different cities. They know if there's magic or if it's special or if like you just said, like something about the green room or something about the bathroom or something about the people, like they can pick up on that, you know? And I remember we, when we were talking to Spafford, um, they mentioned it, they mentioned the sound, they mentioned how much they enjoyed being there. They mentioned the energy of the previous night. And that was like, he's like, you know, we don't always get one of those shows where 
we're completely in it and we're the music is playing us we got that last night and we want to bring it again like they felt that too and that was you know I know that when we when we did our show that there was a lot of excitement in the back room from the guys too that were that we were with we had Sean McLean we had love we had all these different and everybody was stoked about being at the get down so there's definitely something well, in the air and, something about the venue and without naming any names because we're not here to shit on anybody's thing but with we we've been to a, a one other venue in particular here where like the show might have been good but it was so distracting because the room was wrong and it was yeah. hard to even have any kind of anything it was a like, connection with i'm yeah. uncomfortable <clears throat> and want to be out of here that was and all it, I could think yeah. all night long. And it oversold, was, oversold small places yeah. just ruined when. Well, we've walked out of even, plenty of shows yeah. because of the discomfort of our environment and not because right. the band wasn't doing anything particularly wrong. So I know that you were right. You said earlier, live music in the venue. That's a relationship. It's so true. The venue really, really matters. And you're not only doing a service for the the listener but like you said it's for the band too because now they're comfortable the green room is nice it's got a fucking shower in it you <laughs> know like a spacious too that means something you got a whole band you got a tiny green room like i know not every venue has a space for it like clearly that's reality so you got to make do with what you got and some people can really kill it and and, ma- and maximize a small space but having the space for a band of like five or six, that means a lot after getting out of the van. That's, you got to think that's all they're yeah. seeing. You know what I mean? From the van or bus to the green room, to the stage back on the road, like that's their experience. So you giving that to them is huge space, especially for medium to small size touring acts is rare. And yes. I do see that when it comes to them experience the room, which again, goes back to like there was there, there's the principles that I want and then there's also like you know the the luck of finding that space because it really is I mean we have to pay for it it's expensive because <laughs> yes. of that but we have 12,000 square feet for a four, wow. for a, okay. for a 400 capacity venue it's just a very it's a very rare circumstance um that that would be the case but it creates I mean space honestly it's the first I've like a five or six keys to concert bliss on Ooh, my on, on my website. Well, it's it's most of the things we've been talking okay. about. Uh, okay. You know, it's space, it's water, it's security, it's um clean bathrooms. Temperature. Yeah, I I forget the exact ones. Okay. I I wrote it when I first it's on it's on the website though. Okay. But um space Look it up, guys. Yeah, look it up. But <laughs> um but but space is such an important one. You talked before about the sellout thing and as you said, like this isn't to attack anyone in particular um i can kind of just say it as a general rule when it comes to indoor venues and sold out shows mm. unless you happen to have a special spot to stand in and i i know at least all my friends who are real concert goers they know how early they have to show up to a show to get the spots that they need yeah. to be able to enjoy that show at whatever venue it is yeah. otherwise you're yeah. slammed against the back yeah. wall or smashed on the side or you're in a bad sound spot. And yes. Like, yeah, that's like the worst. you get under a balcony where you have no repeater against or against a wall that has no treatment. Like it just, it just creates such a bad experience. I mean, I'm very sound sensitive. Like I'll end up 
Like if my friends want to stand in a bad sound spot, that is totally on them. I'm watching the show from a different business. <laughs> like, I'll catch up you guys I'll, later. Yeah, I'll see you later. Okay. Like it's fine. I'm, you're going to find me near the sound booth most of the time for most layouts, but there's some spaces where it's like, no, if I don't go and get this section, I'm not going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And for yeah. me, you know, That's I what don't, it's about. <laughs> yes. And for me, I don't want it. I don't want it to be affected by New Year's. I don't want to be affected by, um, you know, a sellout. I don't want to be affected by what time you want to show up or any of that. I want you to be able to show up and, you know, some people, you know, we, you know, this with crowd flow with people, like some people will, you know, walk in and be like, oh, I'm just going to stand here. Like as long as you put some effort in, I think at the get down to finding <laughs> your spot, the spot should exist. <laughs> no, you know? I'm, cur- I'm curious because we've been there many times. I've never, there's, to me, it doesn't seem like there's a bad spot for sound. The there. general rule that I like to tell people, and sometimes I'll move, there's that like side spot right next to the stage where for bands, it doesn't matter so much because there's amps and there's monitors, right? But if people are using in-ears so there's no monitors and they're not necessarily using as loud amps, those side stage areas while you get a good view isn't going to sound as good. Now, people okay. that stand there probably don't care necessarily as much, but the excuse me, the general rule, if you want to be getting the Meyer sound, is as long as you can see it's just optical as long as you can see the edge of one of the speakers mm. and that grill is facing you somewhat you're going to be getting somewhat centralized there. sound okay. is it meyer sound in there yes no really yes i fuck i didn't know that so did how does that work to like meyer sound your venue yeah so uh so meyer pro is a meyer distributor that's in town here oh. um and I'll tell a little story about the sound down there. So basically, um, Steve Harrell, who uh, previously was also the lead at the Doug Fur, which I always mm. thought was one of the best sounding venues in town. It's such a cool spot. Well, it was, was a cool was, spot. Yeah. Um, and so Steve, uh, you know, when I I got hooked up directly with him from a, um, another sound uh, tech out of the Bay Area. Um, and you know, Steve looked at the space like, yeah, we can make this work. Um, and he basically was in charge of finding what sound system we wanted for down there. And so I gave him a budget and he went to, you know, an audio show and he gives me a call from the audio show. I remember pulling to the side of the road when he called me, I knew that he was going to call me when he was done at the show. He's like, yeah, we're going to go with DMB. He's like, he's like, I think it's, you know, they sound good. I think, I think that's what we're going to go with. And I was like, Steve, I told you I want the best sounding room in Portland you don't sound excited. Mm. And he just goes, no, no, it's, it's going to be good. And I was like, Steve, I want the best sounding room in Portland. Is this going to get us there? And he said, no. Mm. And I said, what do we need? And he said, I think we need Meyer. And I said, okay, price it out. And so I moved a little bit of money for for different parts of the budget and ended up getting the Meyer system that's down there. And so I said before, I'm, I'm, you know, an audiophile some, somewhat, right? But Same. I'm not, I'm not, not. Little. Right, little. That, that word, there's a scale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Especially, especially on the top end, like it That's gets scale. real crazy. Yeah, like, you, you see what we're using. Yeah, like, it's, it scales with the money that you can put into right, it. I mean, yeah. like, if three. You, you can, like, you can, no matter what sound equipment, I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos, it could even be expensive to you if you want to get all the way up there. So, you know, we're not, we're not going there, but you know, I, I care, I care a lot about it. And so when it comes to just like caring about just audio quality, as I said, I'll watch a show 
nowhere near my friends. In fact, you know, no offense to them, but sometimes, sometimes for the right for the right show, it might be more enjoyable. Right. Just to <laughs> full, full, for, not because they're not great to talk to, but because I don't want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just full immersion, you know. And so, you know, there's me, and then there's Steve. Steve is an audio tech that hears a lot, and you know, the stuff that he likes, he's, um, you know, he he. Like when we have a Grateful Dead cover band, like he he, he likes following Dead and Company, he's seen Grateful Dead. When we have a like a Dead cover band or something somewhat similar, he always <laughs> sounds a little bit louder in there because he's like he's you can always tell it. you can always tell when the sound tech just like likes it a little bit more. Like that's, that's just a little it's a little louder. He's like grooving a little bit more that your plugs are in and he's not you know he's he's fully immersed and and so he you know he cares a lot of course he's a sound tech. So I was like okay, there's me, there's Steve. And then there's this guy, Tim, and Tim works for Meyer Pro. And so when we had this system brought in, um, it's a little bit crazy. So we, I got the space in February, on February 20th of 2022. And I opened for the soft opening on April 2nd of 2022. So it was about five and a half weeks. Um, not recommended of as a timeline. Out? Yes. <laughs> what? So... The ceiling in there, this is putting a bunch of stories together, but they're all related. So the okay. ceil- the ceiling in there is on 480 springs that are separated from the foundation. And the reason for that is we have a event center above us that when I first took over the space or first looked at the space and they had a quinceanera upstairs, it sounded like literal bombs were going off. It was never going to work. And other than really what the Doug Fur has or the whole Doug Fur space, which is just cement, which is the best thing you can do for sound. This was the best thing that you could do in terms of sound um, coming down into a space. Mm. So the springs do two things. They take the impact from above and then they also, since it's decoupled from the foundation, they can actually kind of rattle with the subs. And so the transference is a lot better going up and going down. Okay, that makes sense. So that project, shocking, all construction projects, took longer than they were supposed to. Um, so sho- <laughs> never happens. Shocking, right. Yeah. And the Costs other- more, takes longer. Well, and the other problem was, you know, I'm initially from the East Coast and then lived in San Francisco and then moved up here to open this venue. And, you know, this is my dream of 15 years that I have talked about for 15 years. So when it was actually happening, everyone that I've been close to and maintain these relationships with really wanted to be able to come, including, you know, my parents live on the East Coast, et cetera. Right. You got to give some time for people to be able to make travel arrangements and all of that. But I also really didn't want to be paying too much money while we could still be operating because, you know, this thing, as I said, is expensive and we need to ramp up immediately. So I chose that date in, you know, late December that we were going to open on April, you know, second. It was supposed to be, you know, the ceiling construction was supposed to be done by, you know, mid to late January, but of course it ended up being late February. So then we find ourselves with, you know, <laughs> five and a half weeks, which is a little crazy. So anyways, the sound system, the, the, the show that we were going to do for our soft opening on April 2nd was the, was on Friday. Our sound system left the factory the Monday before, <gasps> because of course we're talking about COVID, you know, oh, production. Oh, are you like it during this mo- like that Ooh. week? Were you sleeping at all, or were you just like a, that, a mess that week? I wasn't sleeping for the Nothing. entire five <laughs> weeks. The entire five weeks. Let's take that Holy back. I mean, shit. it. You know, you can look up. Um, 
pictures of what it was called the keep. Uh, if you look up the melody or my Facebook photos uh, of what I announced the space, it didn't look that much like it currently does. It didn't lay out, but not in look and feel. Um, and this is a good moment to shout out. You really know who your friends are when you have a request of people to paint a space that big black like the none of the walls none of the ceiling none of that was was done it was not black so we painted the entire thing black we did it in five weeks and i didn't i didn't have the basically the sound system <laughs> was was i pulled that from paint and my lovely partner beth um was able to orchestrate a kind of she she was uh she ran a, a little paint business in college so she knew how to orchestrate this and essentially my friends came in and it's one thing like you ask your friends to help you move that's a day. Yeah. This was multiple days for five weeks of them coming in and handling high wall paint jobs, yeah. two coats of black. It was intense. You, all by hand or did you all, have sprayers? No you, sprayers. Okay. All, it was wow. all hand rolled. Lots of pizza and Dang. beer. Yep. Pizza and beer and uh, so much love to all Thank of those yous. people. <laughs> Thank you to everyone. Pat, patting on the yeah. back. No, it was, it was a really, really incredible thing for them wow. to come together and do that. But anyways, we, you know, even that sign, we got that sign up that the get down logo, it came like Wednesday. So we got it up on Thursday for the Friday opening, but the sound system that got here, I think it was Tuesday. And so, as I mentioned, the ceiling, it can't take any weight. So what we had to do is we had to put all thread through to the floor above to hang the speakers. So we, we had actually run all the cabling because we basically, we tore open the ceiling to reconstruct this new one. And so we had to run all this cabling when we did that and put this all thread through. So it arrived, but then we had to install it, but it had to be installed, you know, it, like, it wasn't mounted the same type of way. So it took a second to get everything in. And then we went to turn on the system and the, uh, the, uh, the sound tech for Meyer, Tim, he chose um, the first song he ever played on it was uh, Call Me Al um, <laughs> off of Graceland. And I wept for sure in the middle because it worked <laughs> and you know that that moment of just hearing that song will always hold something for me for that so anyways he played that just to play something and make sure it worked but then the real work began from a sound perspective tuning it so he came in so we actually i believe i got this i, I believe i'm getting this correct i apologize the time the timeline is a little rough for me at this juncture but um i think we we tuned it a little bit and then we did the soft opening and then he came back in the next week. Cause I remember him having some time. So I'm assuming that that's what this okay. was. Yeah. So he spent three days tuning this thing. And so he came in with a laptop on a little stand that had wheels and a microphone again on a stand and would move maybe two feet. And he did a grid pattern throughout the entire thing. He would just click, 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 click. Click, 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 move to the next spot. Click, click, click. Oh my God. And he'd sit and do this in white noise because that's the best way to tune a room right. for three days. And so again, wow. audiophile wise, I'm like, okay, well, this guy loves audio, but he's sitting in this stuff forever. And so the third day I walk up to him like, Tim, I got to be honest. This song sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and he just goes, 
it's my favorite song. Oh. <laughs> like that, he was a sound tech for years and years and years, but like instead of making bands sound good and then them doing stuff to it, he said he'd get so frustrated because it wasn't an environment that he could control, right? Yeah. Like you, you adjust to what they're doing on stage. But this environment, he has full control. Yeah. And so for him, that level of passion and that level of audiophile, like that was a different That's a 10. Yeah, that yeah, was a 10. To be able to sit in white wow. toys for three days, you got you you earn the 10 badge. Yeah. For wow. for everybody listening that doesn't know what Meyer sound is, I would urge you to go do a little research on the web. Meyer is like the gold standard of sound in, in, in venues. And I could be getting this wrong, but I do believe that it has something to do with Owsley in the beginning. They are out of Berkeley, California. Yeah. I think that it might have like kind of started with him. maybe being involved in that. Which would make sense with audio files. Um, (laughs) Yeah. The dead used Meyer forever. And you can tell like you don't even need to be an audiophile. You can, if you're paying attention, the rooms that sound the best are those rooms for sure. I definitely have gained a different level of appreciation. So one thing, um, and I invite you through to come do this cause it's really awesome. Okay. One of the things that I actually love about that system is going in and listening to albums on it. So, oh. okay. So I, um, oh, wow. my friend Chris, who helps run uh, or, or is the founder of the, the group that I help run uh, called Hetty Wax Fiends, um, uh, he uh, has this huge music collection. Um, and so I was like, Chris, I need you to send, I need to send you a hard drive but I need only flack files back. Right. I was like, just lossless. That's it. So he sent me a hard drive, including a lot of great live stuff and all that. But really what it comes down to is like, you want the pink Floyds, the steely, mm. like whatever oh, the yes. highly produced stuff. And then the lighting system is actually really fun to play with. I can show you how to do it. I would oh love gosh, to hear. How fun. To hear that sounds like a great evening. Electric, <laughs> yeah. Electric lady land. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's out that type of stuff down there. It's actually one of my favorite, like no one down there just come down and set up a couple, like we can bring up some of the, the armchairs and set them out right in the middle of the floor and just do Heck a listening yeah. party out I'd there. I love that. That'd be amazing. Actually, some of my favorite, like the early Santana albums. There you go. Like yeah. early seventies. And oh man. Oh yeah. That's good shit. Yeah. I got all those on. I want to talk about uh, just a, a small little, yeah, do you it, know, um, because you were saying jokingly, I didn't sleep for five weeks and in this business, I'm sure that that's not the only time that that's ever happened where you've had to like literally give up, not just sleep, but whatever is going on in your life, you know, sure. food, you know, you know, all kinds of money, all of that. Health. Health exactly. How, how do you deal with burnout? Like on a personal level? Yeah. Um, for the first year and a half, I couldn't really. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the thing that, so there's a podcast that I like to listen to called how I built this mm-hmm. NPR podcast about, you know, entrepreneurs. And I like to listen to for, for inspiration because most of the time those, uh, those episodes talk about how tough things are, especially yeah. when you hit those. And like, you know, there's some stories where it's like overnight success. I had this great idea. Those aren't the ones that I'm interested in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I want the ones that like, you know, you slept on your office floor for whatever period of time and just sacrifice stuff. Yes. And, um, you know, the first year and a half, I, we didn't have the time. I mean, the first 
that time period between um, really getting the loan um, up until the point of, I don't know, maybe a year in. So again, like year, year and a half was, you just didn't, I didn't really have any time. It's every moment that I was awake and every moment going to sleep. Because the other factor of it as well, up until the point that I was, um, up until October 2022, I was working uh, a different full-time job um, while doing it. And you don't, ha- I don't remember this. You don't have a partner or you do. I do. So, okay. so Andrew, uh, the bar manager who I almost killed in that five and a half year period, <laughs> I didn't give him access to his bar because we were renovating so hard. He didn't have access to set up the bar until I think the Monday before oh, we opened shit. on the Friday. It was like, cause we just had tiles everywhere and just, it just wasn't gonna, it just wasn't yeah. gonna be able to work. Um, so apologies to Andrew, but he's, he's the one who designed the bar program, um, which is, I'm, I'm very proud of that bar program. Like in general, when it comes to venues, um, not just quality of drinks, a variety, um, but also just, you know, service and all that. I just think that he's done just such an incredible job building um, that program. And, you know, he, so for me, I knew that I needed to, you know, the, the bar, unfortunately with the music industry, just how it works, that is your profit center. Like that's where you're making money. It's like mm-hmm. everything else is like a minor joke compared to the amount of money that has to come from the bar and operating the bar properly. And so I knew that if I was going to be able to really concentrate on running the business and the music side, I needed, you know, someone that I really trusted that was as engaged in making sure that the bar was as profitable and capable as possible. And so having an owner um, as well in that position was really important to me. So he's the only other active there's, you know, friends and family around sure. type of circumstance, but he's, he's the, he's the only active owner in the space. You know, the, I don't drink. And that's one of the things that I see missing at, at venues that I go to is like a variety of stuff for people that don't mm-hmm. drink alcohol. Right. I found my favorite drink on the planet at the get down, like oh. the Chicha Morada. Uh-huh. Dude, that that stuff. I guess Mel got it the first mm-hmm. time. I was like, "What the hell is this?" And to have because I I'm not a drinker either, and like I enjoy having something that's not just water. water. I love water. I'm, I'm water all day. Water at home. But there's just something you know, you having a drink with you, like and. When I read that, I was like, oh, my God. And it it elevated the experience. Mm-hmm. Just having a good non-alcoholic beverage that wasn't a Sprite or, a, you know, or a Coke or something. It, it showed intention and it showed care for people that aren't drinking. And, and cookies, that, too. Well, yeah, but like <laughs> the details, it's in the details. And I, that's, you know it's important it's you're spending two and a half hours at this place or more if it's or, a yeah. jam band show with two sets yeah exactly or more so you're you want to have a little bit of amenities you know and so to that alone that one drink was like mm-hmm. it, it made it for me yeah like, it really I made it you've really succeeded and then i'll speak for that i've cut way back on drinking but every time i know we're going oh, to a show at right. the get down I look very forward to having a cocktail at the get down because I don't drink a lot. I hardly drink at home anymore. I think I've had almost every cocktail there. that's like <laughs> on tap. My favorite now, I, I've i been hooked on, uh, I, was, I think it might have been Andrew I was talking to. 
he was explaining the ginger syrup and the hand pressed. Dude, <laughs> hand pressed. Oh my Because it says on the menu, it says spicy, and I'm I don't do. And he goes, no, the spicy is from ginger. I was like, there's no habanero something. He's like, and he explained to me how you do it, and I was like, I want that. That oh my god, that is so good, especially like when you have a sore throat or it's cold out. That drink is my favorite now. So, so he's hand pressing ginger for your bar. Yeah, we we hand press ginger. He's got a um a centrifuge in the back. So, in order to because we have a lot of our cocktails untapped to make sure people can get back out there a lot quicker. So the centrifuge, what it does is he takes all the um he takes all the uh the citrus that needs to go in there, and sends it to the centrifuge, which takes out all the pulp that's mm-hmm. in there. And then it actually takes out a little bit of acidity, so we have to re-add some acidity back into it before it goes in to get um, uh, kegged. But by and then we do, let me see. There's one that kills you, and there's one that's accurate. I think it's helium through the lines, not hydrogen. I think it's, <laughs> it's helium. We said helium through the lines um, in order to make it so that it has um, not unlimited shelf life, but three months, which is by far more than we need. Yeah. So even our yeah. wine that's in that's in a there because this is being sent through um it has that that shelf life so but the thing is he's using such fresh ingredients before they go in there that those batch cocktails like when he first told me he wanted to do batch cocktails i was very hesitant because most batch cocktails that i had seen or had are just a worse quality of the drink but the drinks that he's been able to get out of that program are so good and again that you know it speaks to it's it's so important to try to think about to the best of your ability, you know, if I'm going to say, Hey, we want a bathroom for all people. We want a bar for all people and all that. Like it, you need to make sure that you're thinking about them, not just like, Oh yeah, no, we totally have like one type of water or something like Mm -hmm. that. You know, like it is important to have that variety. And the thing is that's some feedback that we get a lot that people really like. And, you know, I certainly do drink, but at the same time when I don't want to, or want something non-alcoholic, we got a lot of great options there. We digressed from your burnout. Well, answer. Yeah. you were going to back to it. Ask okay. you something about it too. We spent the night before New Year's Eve at the Get Down seeing Spafford, and um, I saw you a few times during the evening, and you were working the whole time. And when I left, the place was almost empty. You were working still. So, like, do you ever get to like enjoy the show anymore? At the get down, it's a little bit difficult. Okay. Um, you know, the get down isn't really for me so much in terms of the enjoyment of it. So I went to DJ Shadow last night at at Revolution Hall, mm-hmm. and it it was awesome. And I didn't pick up one drink, <laughs> and I didn't bust one thing, and I didn't talk. I noticed security talking to each other, and I'm like, this isn't my problem. You know, when I um probably the first break that I took. Uh, was going on Jam Cruise um, last year. Uh-huh. Like, and that was the first break that I had had in a know, year so, and a yeah, half. A year and a half, exactly. And I ended up, um, and we actually, so I was still nervous. This year, we're, I'm doing it again and we're open. Last year, it was just closed because I wasn't there yet and feeling comfortable with it being open. We just went dark. And I told my friends when I was on Jam Cruise, like, please, if you see me cleaning stuff up, just tell me to stop. <laughs> and so I think that there's some, there's some unlearning that I think needs to happen. Like, I would love to sit down. So my goal for this year is halfway through 2023 to train everyone in the stuff that I do so that I never have to be there. 
Smart. And I think that by doing that, you know, eventually when you guys see me in a year from now, I don't want to be wearing a security headset. I, you know, and I yeah. trust my team to handle it, yeah. but there's also some, you know, there's some stuff for me that I need to get used to. And there's also processes that I need to put in place, but it no longer feels like I'm dealing with the thing that I have to be dealing with right now. There's some planning that I can start doing, which is really exciting because in the end, there's a lot of things that I want to do. That's a lot more big picture, not just with the get down, but beyond that. I feel that ability to start working with, but to be honest, like, and this might be a little bit about just who I am somewhat, you know, if I'm running Ragon always and only doing the get down stuff and it felt like it wasn't necessarily getting what it needed to. And my brain was constantly being racked on how to fix it. Like the first six months, just from a financial perspective, Mm -hmm. that was completely unsustainable. And honestly, like midsummer of that first year was very, very, very hard. Um, you know, unbelievably so, but you know, now me working a lot, um, you know, it's easier because it's not literal full throttle. And the other good news is there's change on the horizon, right? And that's an important factor for me as well. Um, you know, Spafford's a good example of one, like I'm going to be there because it's a big show and because it's new right. years and because, you know, I, you know, I like those guys and want to make sure that I'm there for, um, and you know, I do think that like I showed up to, something recently and I remember telling friends like oh I don't need to work tonight like I won't have anything to really to do but immediately it's I found myself good. like I could I couldn't finish you know I, I I probably play you know I was playing with with my partner and, and my friend Mark I was like yeah I can totally play a game of pool and every time they went to start a cut their game I was like yeah I'm in for this one and then you know one, one thing later I was running around <laughs> so I think there's some of that adjustment that needs to happen but I think the important thing for me is honestly like making sure that I'm progressing towards that. I don't think that I'm there, but burnout burnout will happen if you don't have, you know, if you're not releasing the pressure valve. Yeah. That's, that that was my whole point. Cause I mean, in two years, what you've done is incredible. Still new. Like it's still new. And how do you know what to do in two years? You have to figure it out to teach somebody like you were saying, trying to, you know, pass that off. But like, you're still seeing all the new stuff. So you're like, you're dialing it in, you know? And I mean, honestly, seeing you working that night, but also you were still friendly. You're still yourself. Yeah. There's, I, there, you're approachable. Yeah. Yeah. Not like when you're immediately in a specific task, but like, I mean, I just want to say kudos to how far you've come with your, you know, your story. And you're just saying that, like seeing you work, seeing the, the people that you've getting at the get down that well looking at that calendar is like i mean you could go there every night of the week like straight up for real and like it's hard to be like oh i don't you know um you're seeing all these people come in you want to go to everything and you know that this the venue is amazing you know so like but yeah so i just wanted to say kudos to you for that because it's really it's apparent and your work ethic and that's why i asked about burnout because i know that you have that kind of just just meeting you and stuff like that 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 will to like you know strive and make it great for everybody well the, and also the team that you've gathered there is top notch man yeah it, you don't seem like the kind of person like that would put up with shit from employees very long. Like you, you, you're a no bullshit kind of guy. I can tell like, and nobody's going to fuck around. And so I think very quickly, you probably weeded out 
the bullshit there and you have a really solid group of folks that are doing the thing there. I've never felt anything but like welcomed and supported there. And even when like the line has been out the door and you know, the whole spiel of whatever, still they were like nothing but sweet and yeah. yeah. Like your security. Well, especially when we did our holiday get down at the get down and got to work with, with Lauren Oh, yeah. yes. And the sound, amazing. we got to meet more of the people we hadn't before. Just amazing crew. And one of the most annoying things at venues is security. Assholes. Mm-hmm. That take it too yeah. seriously. Goon squad. Your, yeah, your, yeah. your <laughs> security. Kind of, but sometimes does. you have to be like that because people are belligerent. So I understand it. But when oh, your yeah. attitude is like that, period. And, and the security at the get down, they get the job done and they do it respectfully. Like I've seen them many times. They've done it to us. Like you need you need to go. If you're going to cannabis, take it across the street like yep. go, and very nicely very respectfully yeah. i've in all the times we've been there I, i've never seen any issues no really i'm sure there has been fights happen things and stuff like that but if it does you know it's been very handled well it's very comfortable there from the moment you get in line to everything it's the first first people you interact with um and it's so it to again to speak to exactly what we were talking about before in terms of the venue immersive experience. If you're constantly dealing with security that is treating you like you've done something wrong, Uh, it becomes mm -hmm. a, especially if it's the first thing, like there's plenty of venues where I'm like, okay, we just got to get through this part and then you got to just suck it up. And then you have to like, look around and make sure that like, they're not just, you know, constantly look, you. right. Just mm-hmm. looking for an excuse. Right. And you know, of course we have to deal with certain things and of course yeah. the safety is most important. And then if you're disrespectfully to us or other patients so important, but you know, the, the three things for me that are most important, I say this all the time, but it, it really, really is important. And we've talked about two of them um, and the relationship with each other, which is artists and patrons, but staff is my third pillar. It's the, it's, it's so, so important. And I think that this is one that I do feel that, um, so much of the time is the overlooked one because of course you care about the patrons, but you know, it's a volume play for a lot of mm-hmm. venues and like, okay, you don't want to come back like whatever. And then I think that with artists, they get, you know, they get treated well, um, probably as the, they're probably the number one for most places. Um, but you know, we do try to go above and beyond and, um, you know, provide some things that maybe others don't, but I think that, you know, a lot of them will look at that, but staff, especially, you know, this is an art, this is a, sorry, not an art. This is a passion issue. And I think in, especially in a capitalist society, um, passions, if you're passionate and you want to do it and they know you want to do it, they will exploit that element. And so you get paid less Mm -hmm. and you're told to work because it's, you know, again, the art is where it came in, like ex- the exposure thing or like, oh, you get to be around cool artists or what or, or cool yeah. artists and all that. And, you know, that's something that um, I really strive to not do. Um, and it's a tough industry specifically for that. Like I've had to educate promoters and, you know, people on like why my venue costs a little bit more to rent. And it's because staffing is more expensive for me because I pay them better. Mm-hmm. Um one oh, thing wow. Hell yeah. one thing that I'm really proud of 
um, well, two things that are related. I think I didn't ask them specifically. They might've stayed anyways, but um, we have almost, we have over a year. I think it's over a year where other than one person moving, um, we've had no staff turnover. Dang. What? Wow. At a venue? That's, At a venue. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. That's amazing. That's saying, that's, yeah, that says it all right there. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, I'm, yeah. And when it comes to security, you know, um, that is a really, really tough job in particular. Oh, you're yeah. dealing with a lot of bullshit. Yep. You're That's at, all you're dealing with. All the time. <laughs> box office, man, like I've, I've subbed in for Kevin. Shout out to Kevin, the box office manager. Like he, he has had to put up with so much just people unable to just work their own phones, but then it's the same problem over and over and over. Like that, <laughs> that'll test anyone's patience. Oh, yeah. I lose my shit. Man. Please keep the waters. Like he says, the same. It's same with security. You say the same things over yeah. and over and over, and you have people that are you know more uh, inebriated or less inebriated or whatnot. But like you're dealing with a yeah. wide range of issues constantly there <laughs> at any time can be the two biggest things, which are some sort of physical fight issue or some sort of medical issue. Yeah. And guess what? You're on point for both of those things too. Yeah. And it's yeah. constant, right? And you, you're not sitting the entire time. You're constantly moving, at least the security people. And yeah. you know, you're dealing with people upset that they, you know, you're just enforcing the rules, but you know, you deal with different levels. I mean, I've had uh, security people that have been physically assaulted for not assaulting them, like that just attack because they don't like the rules that are being tried to be implemented. Like, oh, God. Oh, and you know, a lot of the time people are being asked to do that for close to minimum wage. <laughs> and the thing about the, the security that you guys, you know, get that are the, um, Again, what, what goon squad security, yeah. you know, they're, they're a little bit more expensive, but the idea is like, well, we know the problem solved and blah, blah, blah. And that's a lot harder when you're trying to get that out of, you know, people that, you know, my, my team or like every single person that works, uh, and I call it event staff, but you know, the security position, um, they are all music fans and they're excited to be there and they're excited to try to provide a better experience while also making sure that the rules are being enforced. And that's something that we've worked on, you know, together, like how can you be, you know, sincere, direct and protect the rules while still treating everyone with respect and giving, you know, everyone gets a first chance at the get down. You probably get a second one. You have to do a lot. You have to do a lot. Right. And or you have to do something really, really stupid. But even then, we're still politely telling people to leave. You know, that's just how we do things. Yeah, we're not there. dragging you out by your hair. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So you know, there was this discrepancy and this, this is me and Andrew. There was a discrepancy that both of us had trouble getting past, which was man, our bar staff and bar backs and, you know, our, you know, our, our, um, you know, the, uh, the production managers, um, and the, uh, the sound tax, you know, the sound and lighting tax, they were getting a lot, they were making, they were walking away with a lot more money than security. Um, and it was, it's really hard because you have like five or six security people over the course of a long period of time. And you're billing that back to, uh, to artists, um, or at least when it's a net, we don't have to get into all the deal stuff, but anyways, if you're including costs, et cetera. Right. Um, and so I couldn't just keep increasing everyone's salary too much though. I believe that my hourly rates are probably higher or close to being higher. I've given everyone that has done a really good job at the get down 
a salary, a, a, a hourly increase within the first three months of being there. Cause I think that saying thank you for doing a good job when being a boss should involve a monetary thing as opposed yeah, to, yeah. as opposed to the Maybe. pizza party or whatnot. Yeah. Make Kevin listen to this. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, true, man. People like they move because of money, yeah. you know, we're all motivated we're by going it. There Cause we want to, yeah, we pay money to it's go respect. there. You're it's getting, respect. yeah. Like it's about money. So something that me and Andrew decided to do and if people went to get down for like a month period <laughs> um we basically we had we had we tried to do a service charge or no sorry um like an auto grat or whatnot oh, okay and the idea of why we were trying to do it wasn't to make sure that people were tipping the bartenders enough it was because we can't include in oregon at least we can't include um staff that isn't working a tip job as part of the tip pool. Mm. So we couldn't include security. And so we were like, well, so, you know, the bartenders are, are, and of course we didn't want to be just like pulling from, from them. Yeah. So we instead decided, okay, well we'll do, you know, we'll do a, a, you know, we'll, we'll do a service fee or, you know, whatever autocrat. Um, but then we're allowed to, right. Cause that's just an additional charge. Problem is music venue, you know, you're at a restaurant, they explained it to you. You're reading, easily the numbers yeah. that are on your receipt yeah. <laughs> slightly different at a music venue you yeah. know the numbers are squiggly <laughs> the words are weird like you all know. of a sudden they're in a different language <laughs> exactly and like the guy's saying something to you but you're just trying to get out you know like where where can i side to get this yeah. done and the problem was people were leaving tips on top of it and while my bartenders loved it for that you know for, for that time right, period, short. it wasn't it wasn't fair you know yeah. it, it wasn't the correct thing and then we're like well how do we do this and so what we did is when we reverted back from the, you know, basically, we, so we added, so the other thing that we did is instead of just adding 20% because we thought people would just get upset that their price was different, the menu also went up. And so at one point, you know, everyone was like, oh my God, the get down got so expensive because everything went up by 20% because we weren't adding it, but we were like, we were saying, hey, it's added. Uh, okay. But there was no signage in the world that got, pe- that got this across no, to people. Oh, that's okay. a hard concept I mean, it, to it like, was. explain. But it all stemmed from this. We were like, we have to figure out how to pay them. So then when we went to bring the money back, like because we're like this isn't working everyone just thinks we're too expensive we're getting too many bad reviews like i'm like we like and people are overpaying and it's it's not working but then i was like well what if we just instead of bring it back 20 percent, we'll bring it back 16 percent, and we'll leave four percent as a four percent raise and we'll give four percent of the bar profit to the staff and so that's what we do. So the the events, the, the security nice. and the box office staff get a percentage right of that high level. And I don't think that anyone else. So you hire in? That's again, Fuck. in the details, you're not missing the patron, the artist, well, the, you know what I'm we saying? We haven't even, we haven't even hit the big subject yet. I know. <laughs> I know. This is why. Okay. Blake, I, I have to say this. Do you want to say that real quick? Uh, no, no, this is a, this is taking a totally different subject matter. I just want to ask about okay. before we're done. Okay, well, I was because I was going to bring it to a different subject matter too. We're I was going, right. yeah. Right. Well, when, go first. rock okay. paper scissors one, for it. One, two, three. I don't even. What is this? That's paper. I just I just see it all the venues. I've seen it there. I've seen it back in the green room and and in line and in the venue. Up here in Oregon, and imagine any state where cannabis is legal, it is so hard to get people to understand 
why you can't smoke in a venue when you have alcohol. The OLCC regulations, I totally get it being in the cannabis industry, but I see everybody and people who dab and vape don't think that counts as smoke. How tough is that to deal with? Is it a constant with that? So it's not difficult to deal with. Um, you know, and there's certain shows like we just had Groundation, right? And you know, when you have a reggae show, we we know what we're getting, right? right. We know we know that people are gonna feel this way. Um, I'd say it's harder with the artists a lot of the time because they really don't understand why they can't do it in their in the green room, right? Yeah. And so the the way that it works, um, with the OLCC regulations, basically they want while it's legal and they operate both of them, they want them as far away from each other as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we don't allow people to smoke in there because you legally can't. And one of the fastest ways to actually lose your OLCC license is by letting people smoke inside. Yeah. However, or next to the business, right? The thing about it is some places decide that, instead of telling people not to smoke there, they'll just kick them out. And we obviously have no interest in doing that. So as I mentioned before, unless you're doing something really stupid, you get a warning at the get down. Right. Right. And you know, with the vape stuff, it's, Hey, you can't do that down here. Um, and that applies no matter what, what what you're smoking. Right. Um, you can't do that down here. Um, and you know, normally, Normally people are just excited that we didn't kick them out, I think is what I'm seeing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so th- that's really true because if you're excited, like, hell yeah, I'm not getting kicked out. I'll go outside and smoke and come no back. Problem. So then now that person is more apt to do that instead of sneaking it. Yeah. And yeah, so- it, it's like a kid. Like you're, you're going to, test your boundaries until you get scolded yeah. and you'll be like oh okay. i got caught <laughs> we've had we've had that happen it shows it's like we got caught i never be have. good oh I don't yeah know what you're talking about and then for for you know anyone that's smoking you know anything that has fire you know we just we just don't want that anyways yeah, right that's... and so you know if you do that um you know we have to we have to comp- we can't just let people keep stuff that ah. is lit on fire <laughs> um, so finish so, with your fire it's yeah, exactly. when you put it like that it's too. true that's, though yeah that is funny it's just you know you're I, but i think I think that every single person that has ever lit up a joint in an indoor venue acknowledges that security might come and take it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they look at yeah, that as like, oh. Literally sending oh, out man. smoke signals. Yeah. Like, yeah. Must be. You're asking for yeah. it, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and, you know, when it comes to even nicotine vapes, right? Like, sometimes people are just doing it because it's in their pocket and they're used to doing it all the time, you know, and that's, you know, a lot of the time people are like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. It's just force of habit. you can see it in their eyes that they mean it. And then you, if you see him doing a second time, it's like, well now it's really a a problem. But the thing is it almost never happens the second time that much. Um, Or it's like right when people are walking out, when they're getting lazy and they're like, well, what's the worst thing? What are they going to do? Keep me out while I'm headed out. Yeah. So, you know, for us, like, you know, those types of enforcements aren't, so bad the green room is tough because you know it's an art it's a space that artists i think are more used to um and the legality of green rooms and how they operate is a really weird one the best that i can describe and i am not a lawyer um so you know i'm apologize i'm describing this incorrectly but (laughs) essentially the way that it works is um and this might just be like by default because of how they're dealt with and how you know they have to be 
a little bit universal across 50 states somewhat, you know, mm-hmm. is, you know, that is for all intents and purposes, the artists like room for the night. Right. Mm. Like they're essentially you're giving them their space. So think of it as like a hotel room, right? Right. You're not responsible for what someone's doing in the hotel room until you see see it. Yes. (laughs) So as soon as you see it. Yes. Right. So like, you know, if you forget your do not disturb (laughs) sign or you're doing the hallway or whatever, you know, or, you know, they come to clean up the next day, then it's a problem and they need to deal with it. And so it's the same for us where as soon as I see something, I tell them that they can't do whatever they're doing and, you know, tell them to either go outside or whatever they need to be doing with that. Um, but you know, when it comes to marijuana, especially some of these bands, they are used to it. I mean, I've seen a lot of the time bands will like get stuff like thrown at them on stage. Oh yeah. You know? Yes. Right. And so some, you know, I've had to run out and tell people, no, you can't light that on stage <laughs> and explain it to them. But at the same time, you know, it's, we go about it the exact same way that we go about, you know, everything else down there when it comes to security is if you say it sternly, but politely, yeah. most of the time people are pretty good at listening. Yeah. To yeah. 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 I, mean, I don't think anybody's there to be a dick. Like, no, I mean, no, but, say anybody, but, but you're you're, you, we test our boundaries till you get scolded. And then it's like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I want to talk about ticketing a little bit. Yeah. Cause I know that's your, your deal. Um, you, you have a passion for, uh, stopping what's going on with the, you know, nightmare of Ticketmaster and, and gouging. the other gouging that's going on. And you have a, a unique viewpoint and plan. Can you, can you take me through it a little bit? I do. Um, and I can. So, you know, there's, I'm certainly going to play this one a little bit from a, it's probably best not to talk too much about something before it happens. You know, the evil, the, the, the evil, the evil plan, but in reverse. Um, But I, I I will speak to, you know, we talked about where I got into live music, where I got into wanting to do a venue stemmed from also Radiohead, but it was trying to buy Radiohead tickets and getting upset with the experience of doing so. And then not understanding how a company that is so hated like Ticketmaster is able to have such a grip on the, um, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I, I did a bunch of research and realized that the way that they operate, um, was something that I thought when I read about it, that it wasn't going to be able to be stopped in the current, with the current market that was available to stop it. And basically there's a couple ways that I think the Ticketmaster um, or, you know, what's currently become all ticketing softwares for the most part when it comes to, you know, high fees, the uh, secondary ticket market, all those things, the current structuring um, is based off of maximizing money within an industry. But the problem is the industry isn't live music. It's ticketing. It's created its own industry. It's its own entity. Um, But the thing that makes it complicated is it does feed into the music industry, okay. but it takes from the patrons and somewhat a little bit can take from the artists though at the, the biggest levels, it gets more integrated again. Um, it takes from the patrons and then goes directly to, um, you know, either venue venues or um, promoters or things along those lines when it comes to the fees. And so, you know, even back then when I was reading about it, 
it was mostly venues. It was before fact fees and all that type of stuff. Um, and you know, all the other add-ons they've done, but back then it was just service. But what Ticketmaster came up with, um, and there's this great book called Ticket Masters. If you want to read all about the history and what happened there, I highly recommend it. If you want to get really nerdy about the history, <laughs> um, but basically what happened was, you know, when electronic ticketing came out, um, you know, it was 50 cents per transaction. You know, I think people experienced this where they went to, it was like Sears and that type of stuff back then. You buy from like these kiosks and, yeah. you know, so, so all of that. Um, and it was a flat transaction logical yeah, <laughs> a flat yeah. transaction One even ticket, now this is- i don't think anyone would look at you know a flat transaction now of like you know two to three dollars per ticket and be like no that's the price of running the software and that's cool like whatever i think we get upset when it's 50 percent of the ticket <laughs> yeah. and things around yeah, yeah we do <laughs> yeah um the thing is is what what changed and what made it so that it became so integrated and what gave ticketmaster this advantage is at the time, Ticketmaster had a very small percentage of the market, maybe 10 to 15%, maybe 20%. And then there was this other entity because this was all still like, in, in, this was pre like the internet that we know it type of thing. Okay, like, so this like is 90s? Yeah, 90s, 90s. Exactly, exactly. So um, there was basically only one other, I think it was Ticketron. Ticketron. Yeah, yeah. It was Ticketron. Yeah. So there was one other entity essentially. And Ticketmaster basically came up with this thing or this guy who I find this particularly interesting. I realized this while reading the book, but so he has, um, he has a uh, alumni or he is an alumni from Clark university in Worcester, Massachusetts, which the person who came up, not the person who invented Ticketmaster, the person who came up with this concept. Um, And the concept that he came up with is variable price fees, right? So basically what he said is why don't we just charge a percentage for more expensive tickets and we give you a kickback of that percentage. So Who's let us, you? so, so he said to, to venue. Okay. So he said, right. Cause they controlled the, the venue. Uh, so, so they don't control the ticket pricing so much. Um, I mean, you do, you throw out an offer and you say, this is how much it costs. And so what you do now is throw out an offer. This is how much it costs, but all the contracts have, Hey, we use this ticketing service and there's this, this, and this fee and those fees are just there and they're essentially considered non-negotiable in the industry. Um, so that's how that ends up functioning, but you, you get kickbacks, right? And so when it comes to venues, uh, a lot of the time it's in the form of bonuses. Mm. So you'll get a bonus for um, signing a multi-year contract, right? Mm, and okay. then, um, and then you can still add your own fees on top. This is pre, um, or this is post, this is now. You can add your own fees on top. But anyways, what he proposed at the time was, let us give you a bonus. It might have even been a, a small percentage kickback or it was, you know, some sort of large upfront cost because, you know, venues, they, they have like the, the fluctuations between successful shows, unsuccessful shows, like, you know, uh, good touring months, bad touring months, all of that. Cash flow is the name of the game. It's hard. It's one of the reasons that was that first six months was so stressful. So making it so that um, you have a more consistent cash flow or the, at least in the you know, coffers is really important to venues, which is why when you go to, um, you know, the history of what happened with lawsuits and all of that, basically what Ticketmaster argued successfully was, 
hey, there's actually a ton of venues out there. It's not like we own all the venues. Like there's a ton of independent venues. I mean, that's changed a little bit. Um, but, you know, there's a ton of independent venues out there and they're all choosing to use us. And the reason they were choosing is because Ticketmaster pays the most money back to venues because they then charge the people that amount back. And the problem with that model they're is- They're never losing out. Well, And they could also say like, well, we're doing the music industry a service because we're helping the venues stay open, giving people- Oh, which they, so which they, reason. which they argued. And that's why they, they, you know, I think the DOJ, DOJ kind of screwed that up a little bit. Um, but yeah, so basically what the brilliant part of it that also got me so afraid back then was I was like this model of bribing venues to let them pay, to let them charge people more money because to go back to passions, if you really want to see a show, mm. if you can go, you're probably going to go. Mm-hmm. And you're going to yeah. figure out a way to go. And Dude, people, I just bought fear tickets for fish. I, yep, if you're gonna, you, that's exactly. Yeah. So that, and that's, so their argument is that. And when I looked at that model, I was like, okay, either a bunch of artists can rally together and say no. And especially with the merger of live nation, which includes promotion being integrated, which is still one of the biggest crimes of, you know, any type of, uh, um, uh, uh, bank or not, uh, da, 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 um, merger law what is it monopoly there you go (laughs) one of the biggest crimes against monopoly law but essentially what happened with with this is when i did the evaluation it was Ticketmaster was going to be able to do this unless there was government regulation or some sort of big artist agreement Mm -hmm. and i just didn't think it was going to happen i thought that either of those things like i didn't have trust that and this is this is 2008 probably okay Okay. so where i decided that this was a problem that needed to be solved and the only thing that i could come up with to do anything about it was to own multiple venues and the get down is ideally if everything goes according to plan a prove it venue and then own multiple venues and then start a nonprofit ticketing company and then you can start facilitating more and there's a lot more complications to it and there's a lot more things that i have in mind like even the secondary ticket market how you might be able to change what a ticket is um Mm -hmm. from a legal perspective that's a whole other thing i can go into that a little bit if you want sure i'd love to hear that yeah all right so the idea with that one is you can so the way the tickets currently work is and the problem that i have with them is it's this whole separate market. And one of the things that I think small to medium sized venues and small to medium sized bands all feel is that they're not making enough money. And the thing is they're not, mm-hmm. but it's not because there's not money in music. There is, it's just getting extracted from these other sources. Siphoned out. Right. Okay. There's a lot of people that are getting a certain percentage of this, a percentage of that a percentage of that, that aren't necessarily key important elements, at least in my opinion. Um, so one of the things that is really difficult, um, is to figure out a way to make tickets not be this extra step. I mean, we all experienced that with, I mean, the scalping, the scalping situation's bad. Now there's just fake scalping where they don't even have a real ticket. There's, yeah. you know, all of this complications and issues, et cetera. Um, the idea that I have, I mean, a, if they, if they cared enough, this is fixable stuff, especially we're talking about like, like blockchain technology and stuff like that. Like you can track this stuff a lot better. We're using old school 
barcodes and QRs and like, yeah, there's, there's some that are doing more than others and that's great. But in terms of exchanging tickets, other than, you know, the failed, Hey, you need this exact credit card, that type of stuff. I don't think that that works as well, or you have to double check everything. Cause the problem is of course you sometimes need to miss shows, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the idea that I have around it, and this would be out of that proprietary ticketing system that would be built is you essentially change what tickets are. And so the idea that I have is you, um, so if you go to any of my venues or a associate venue that wants to use this ticketing service, um, you would sign up for an account and the account is free and you need to be verified. And so there's a verification process, Mm -hmm. but the account's free. And when you go to buy a ticket, that experience is completely different. It's essentially a, the way that I would legally do it. And again, not a lawyer, but Mm -hmm. generally the concept is you would be a member of a private club and you have access to set show. And if you want to go to set show, you put in a request for the access. If you get selected for that, there's a cost for that particular night. And so you pay that cost just like some of our favorite bands and their lottery process, but you do it for the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to transfer it to another member, you can do that, but it has to be tracked within the system. Mm -hmm. If you don't attend any shows or you miss, you know, three in a row, whatever the rule is, Mm -hmm. you make it so that that account is no longer allowed to do anything there. And again, with the verification element, you can track it. So the idea would be, that it would be a lot more work. <laughs> it's not fun. But if I learned anything from the Grateful Dead process, which goes into very good detail in that Ticketmaster's book, is this is the type of thing that you can find volunteers for. This is the type of thing that if people are passionate music fans and they want to help out, figure out who the frick the scalpers are. Heck yeah, we do. I remember when we were talking about this at... Um, uh, what concert was my favorite concert this year? Last year, I don't know. Was it One. flaming? Was Fla- it flaming lips? Flaming lips. Yeah. Yeah. When we were talking Thank about it, flaming lips, I no came home. I didn't. Hot. I didn't care about Ticketmaster at all. But like, I was like, "Fucking Blake is right. We need to do something about this." And like, I like, I felt it, and I was like, "It's true." Like, if you don't go to concerts, who cares? But for the people who do go to concerts, and that's their jam, and that's their thing, there's thousands and thousands of dollars that are uselessly being given to Ticketmaster or whatever that no one ever sees. And if, if, if it would be fine if they were getting that same exact money and the artists were getting more. Correct. It would be, I would have nothing to say about it, but that's not the case. And the artists are missing out and it sucks. So, or even if the venue was benefiting somehow, okay, like it gets in these coffers, like you said, and it gets for, you know, you know, updating or construction, or I don't even know, but like, it just like the, you're right. People can become passionate about something like that because it's, makes no sense the, like you said the money's there we're spending hundreds of dollars on one ticket well, for one night the thing that's really sad about it and you you already said it is that as a music fan that's passionate about wanting to go to shows i'm gonna put up with it because that's i don't have a choice my other choice is not going mm-hmm. and that's, that's not, a, not choice a choice for me. <laughs> so i'm gonna 
put up with it and they know that so they're like we're gonna put the screws to you we're gonna screw them down as far as we can it doesn't matter you're still gonna come it's the same as agreeing to it you know what i'm saying like by you buying that ticket you're like okay this is cool yeah and And when you have a monopoly on the ticket like 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 oh go to the other ticket company get your (laughs) ticket then like yeah yeah, right that's so it's funny to me though blake that the artist's other than Taylor Swift and Pearl Jam, haven't stood up. Well, so I'll address that a little bit. Okay. So Taylor Swift in particular has a 360 deal because 360 deals kind of our industry standard now and they're getting cuts of everything. I mean, there's, there's huge money being funneled towards those top, top artists. What does that and, mean, 360 deal? Um, so essentially... They're all going to depend, but essentially what this was another like innovation or whatnot. And this only applies to the really, really big artists Mm -hmm. where there's all this revenue around. um, There's all this revenue around like, you know, the their merch and all this other stuff. And essentially they'll just like prepay for all of it, essentially. And they'll prepay for all of the tickets being sold already. Um I mean, part of it is because, so a 360 deal mostly was invented within the, well, it wasn't invented by Live Nation, but it's utilized by them. It might've been, I don't remember. I'd have to double check the book, but essentially when you have control of the, um, of the fees and however amount you want to charge, you can give more than a hundred percent of face value to the artists. Um, or artist management or, prom- or you know, whatever. Cause you're also, they're also the promoter. They're also own the venues, you know, they have vertical integration. And mm-hmm. when you have that, and that's the monopoly part, that's really egregious, they have the ability to do that. But that's why the pricing keeps going up, especially post COVID because they're trying to make their money back that they quote unquote lost during that time period. Right. Um, even though I think they made a, uh, I think they had a record year last year. Um, but yeah, it's essentially, you know, the, like all of those types of structures are, you know, at the biggest level, they had to start giving back to artists. But again, at the smaller level, like, you know, if there's a band that wants to do a $20 ticket, um, you know, at some venues, there's going to be astronomical fees. But even at my venue, because again, it's really integrated. It's a whole thing and podcasts have certain lenses (laughs) that that I'm sure we need to keep to. But essentially what it comes to, um, you know, that, uh, that percentage that goes, um, to either the artist or the, sorry, not the artist, the patron, the, um, or sorry, from the patron to the venues, to the promoters, um, or back to the ticketing company. Those are the three kind of main ones that, mm-hmm. that fees might be going to, um, that's taking away from what the artist feels comfortable charging. Cause they don't need to decide, does someone want to spend $20 on going to my show? It's, do they want to spend 28 or 30 or, you know, some places, you know, even higher, like, and you know, that's part of that calculation. And, you know, for artists that, you know, are going to end up on the secondary market anyways, that goes away, right? Like you can Mm -hmm. just charge whatever because the scalpers are charging it or it's being sold directly at et cetera. So that goes away. So that, that higher level is a lot harder and, you know, you start someplace and I'm not trying to suddenly open up 10,000 person venues or stadiums or whatever, you know, at least not at this juncture, not yet. Uh, not yet. <laughs> but, you know, that becomes a lot more complicated and that um, and you can also get targeted in ways that are uh, pretty, pretty rough. I mean, one of the reasons 
there are two main reasons why I opened up the venue in Portland. One is because it has no Live Nation Ticketmaster influence. Um, and that is really, really important um, in terms of being able to just set up shop and just start functioning. Because if I tried to do this in San Francisco or something like that, I'd get muscled out pretty easily. Or have to make a deal with the devil. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yes. And then the uh, the second reason is the, the liquor license cost is cheap. So while the OLCC is very, very tough to deal with, it's eight hundred dollars a year here to have a liquor license. So, wow. so, so <laughs> it's, shit. The, it, it's like three hundred thousand where I'm from Boston, oh which is like pure Puritan style. So it's a limited amount. You have to buy them from pre-existing oh, businesses. Oh, it's like okay. the cannabis license is here now. Yeah. It's crazy. So the get down is proof of concept venue. That is the that was that is the idea. Yes. Oh, that's okay. Proof I, of, sorry, not less proof of concept. It's proof of me being able to operate because I have to be able to operate it successfully as a business, right? I need to get this business into the black. And then when I get the business into the black, then I can be like, okay, cool. I can do this. Yes. Let's do the next one. And it's a lot easier to raise money when you can prove that you've done something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> Look at this book. It's in the black. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. Okay. Before we go. If there was somebody out there that is like you and is an entrepreneur and, and wanting, they're in another city and they're wanting to start a venue and what are, what are some of the, like a couple of tips you would give them after the work that you've done in the last couple of years that you've learned the hard way? Yeah. So as I, I mentioned, it's my, my goal of 15 years and um, I would ask this every opportunity that I had for business owners because well, actually, there was, um, um, shoot, uh, the name of the uh, famous promoter who uh, owns Brooklyn Bowl. Peter Shapiro. Thank you. Peter Shapiro wrote a book um, over the pandemic because he couldn't do other events. It's the first one that's by someone that owns venues because people who own venues don't have time to write books, um, <laughs> is, is my theory anyways. Uh, so anyway, so... Um, before that book, there was really nothing. I tried, like I read restaurant books and bar books and, you know, watched, you know, whatever interviews I could find. But for the most part, those interviews were just like, don't do it. Like that was the only thing that I could find for like advice, <laughs> advice for venues. Good just, luck, just, kid. Just don't. Yeah, just don't do it. And even then, you know, that's, I got plenty of that advice as well from people that either were qualified or weren't qualified. But the good advice that I got um, is uh, one uh, was... Um, from this one, um, uh, Vicky uh, Mariano. She uh, owns uh, Electric Haze in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, and she was the first venue owner that I met when I had this this passion. And she, you know, gave me one, I was basically asked the same question, like, what's the one piece? She was like, have a really, really good booker. Like that, like making sure mm. you can fill the space is super, super important. So like, don't try to open and then figure that out later. Like, you got to have your person. They need to have the experience and, most importantly, the contacts in order to do it. Like, Josh Pollock, my booker, like, like we got Mark Farina for our first show. If I tried to reach out to Mark Farina's agent and was like, hey, we have this new venue. Please come play here. Mm-hmm. I would not, either wouldn't get a response or it'd be, who are you? No. Uh, him doing it and having that relationship, that is how we were able to build to where we're at right now. Um, and so that's super, super important. Um, another piece of advice that I was given is if you can add a shower. And so that is actually back there. But, um, you know, when it comes to local acts or even regionally touring, doesn't matter as much. National touring acts matters a lot. Yeah. They, mm. they care a lot about that shower being in there. And that yeah. makes a big difference. 
And it's not just a shower, but we try to keep it as a clean shower, which is also an advantage. You know, we had um, we had a band come through that the um, the sound tech right before leave was like, hey, can I jump into a real quick shower? I know it's after the show. But I'm like, yeah, that's fine. He's like, you wouldn't believe the showers that we see. He's like, this is the, one of the oh, first ones that I've aww. seen that I actually want to take and take the shower. <laughs> right into. on. Please. Like that's, you know, that's what it's there for. Um, but yeah, so the, those two are really important. Um, a piece of uh, that, that I was given, um, you know, advice that I would say is whatever your budget is, you need more money. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, that's just true double it, triple that's, it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. So all of the business, um, I would say that the get down has followed, uh, you know, of all the business books that I read and all of that and all the podcasts, it's been pretty true to it. Like I'm just now at the almost two year mark is starting to be able to breathe. And the first six months was insane, especially. And that included the six months previous to opening. Mm-hmm. And then if you can arrive six months and get to a year, you feel a little bit better. And then if you can do one year to two years, you feel a lot better. And it's not just the stats that back that up in terms of, you know, those are the, the big uh, milestones, but they feel that way. And there's, mm. I mean, one of the things that I realized is, so this industry, um, and I'm sure other ones as well, I'm, I'm sure the restaurant is pretty tied into this as well. They assume you're going to fail, right? So like the promoters, one of the reasons that you need the really good in-house booker is you can't just engage with established promoters out the gate because they want to make sure that you're around in six months and know what you're doing. So they just won't do it. Um, insurance. So my insurance for my first calendar year, I got one company that would do it. One. No, I did. I, I used multiple brokers, which they hate, but I used multiple brokers to find me whatever deals possible. You know, this is post COVID of course. So it's a little bit worse. But one that would cover us at all. $65,000 for the year for my first calendar year of being open. That is a very hard way to operate <laughs> for, for something that doesn't oh exist. God. Yeah. That, it's like an untangible, but required by my yeah. bank. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So like you haven't bought sound, you haven't no, painted you haven't one shit. thing, one tile. And it's like, here you go. Here's, here's your first bill. No. So here's the kicker. Oh. So they, again, this industry is built on guessing that you're going to fail. Okay. They required first months, payment and the last two months payment up front. Cause we, we want to get at least three before you fail in six. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and so this will apply to being able to try to raise funding later. Like all of that, like stuff becomes a lot easier as you go. Yeah. So just try to protect not just your money, but your assets too. Like don't, don't do something a year before because you, think that now's the time or you're impatient. I mean, I can speak to myself. I, I mean, I was very close to opening up a, a, a different location in Portland than the pandemic, honestly, like, I mean, not only would the pandemic have been terrible, but it, it saved me from a space that wasn't as ideal. It was in, it was an old town. It would be a very tough thing to get people to go down in the same yeah. type of way, older building, all that type of stuff. But I did get impatient. And I think that that's one thing that's really important is making sure that you find the right one, but also find the, money beforehand don't try to make it work as you go it's really important and i think going back to something that you said earlier at the very beginning when you walked into that room you knew and so pay attention to your gut i would say too you have to you have to pay you'll know you'll know it's just like with anything in life you you have your intuition use it and try not to let your head 
get you too excited when it's not right. Well, I mean, 15 years to have a goal. I, I was going to mention that, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's the, pretty patient. And you know, the 15 years I ended up really like needing all of them. I think that throughout my entire life, um, I wasn't patience has never been my virtue. <laughs> it, it just, it just simply hasn't. Um, you know, I got very close to, managing a space on the east coast 15 years like right when i it's actually that that same space that the, um when uh before it was electric um uh electric uh haze it was uh, spiritual haze and it was just like a hookah bar that was like moving to a new location and i had come up with this oh i'm gonna i'm gonna be a um i'm gonna run venues and then i met you know, this person that was moving it to a new location basically convinced them like not, not the person I was mentioning before, but the person who was managing uh, that, um, that business that I'd be the perfect person to manage it. I'm, I wasn't the perfect person. To manage it. <laughs> I, uh, the, this, you know, 22 year old Blake had no idea. He thought he was though. He yes. really, he really did. I'm ready and, to go. Yeah. But we like, you know, we found it. He found a location and, you know, but that was also during a recession. It was 20, uh, this is, uh, early 20, uh, 2009. Oh and, yeah. Oh, and, right 2008. And so exactly. So it ended up, um, not happening, but it got really close. Like we were like, you know, two weeks away from construction out of swap picked out. So I was like, Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen so quickly. And then it didn't. And then I tried playing poker for a year just to like, maybe I'll hit big on a tournament and be able to like make this faster. And then, you know, I realized, okay, this isn't going to work and I need to get a real job. And so <laughs> I went into corporate um, events because I thought that the events world, basically people told me, oh, well, if you want to work in venues, including my parents, who I love very much, but they very much encouraged me like, you should go work in venues. And that's one thing that I will say, like you could certainly take that type of path, mm -hmm. but always looking for the things that are, that will really hurt you in the long run by not knowing, like you should know your local laws. You should, mm. you should know some of the finance stuff. You should read the books, like do the homework, that type of stuff. And for me, so I did the corporate side, but I purposely took the stuff that I thought was going to eventually help me. And the knowledge that I gained in doing the corporate events was so, so, so important to be able to run the business that I do in the way that I do and making sure that that's organized. And then the other thing that's, you know, people say it all the time, but it's really, really important. If you're not really, if you're not the right person for something and that thing, it's sorry, if you don't know much about something and that thing is really important, find someone who knows a lot about it and just go with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't try to just force yourself to do it. If by doing it wrong, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Like I did my own website and I was able to figure that one out and that's great. And that was totally fine for me doing it. But me trying to build out my bar without Andrew as a bar manager or without a sound tech to make the room sound good. Like you got to figure out the things that you can do and try yeah. to be a jack of all <laughs> trades, but you also need to put down the scissors and let someone else <laughs> do it at some point. You need, you need to know your limitations. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's wow. excellent advice, Blake. That's really, really good advice. Cause I remember in a previous conversation when you were here for dinner, you were talking about how you started to look at, you know, took that job about looking at all the contracts, you know, yep. and that's something that, you know, somebody wouldn't think to do, but that really helped you in the long run and in the short run, I'm sure. So yeah, man, thanks for that. I, um, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm, Me too. I, I'm really excited, man. <laughs> well, it's been exciting just, to be your friend yeah. through this time and, and see how it's grown, man. It's, it's a really cool thing to see someone's dream come true. 
and mm-hmm. yeah. I'm yeah. I'm I'm on I'm on your side, Blake. From now on, yeah, <laughs> that's we got, it. We got, did, we got I just your back because we're seeing it all the time. We mentioned it, like all these bands that we've interviewed, and once we have it, and we look like, oh shit, they're coming to town. The get down, we're seeing that more and more with bands coming. Like, like, oh, I remember we saw them at Revolution Hall. Like, they're coming to the get down. And yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, man. That yeah, uh, ca- the calendar is something that. It still gives me joy every time that I'm looking at it and just seeing this thing grow. Like, you know, there's just some bands that are playing. Like, I'm so excited. Like, Ghost Note is just like such a big personal favorite. Yes. But I just like, they're, I'm so so, good. they're so good. And like, you know, the thing is, like, again, like, there's that, that slow burn that for me, again, it feels like we opened up yesterday and it feels like we've opened up 10 years ago. Yeah, no, you know, I guess yeah. I feel like that yeah. with no simple road. Yeah. And it just, but it grows if you can, you know, if you can just, I mean, the, the business thing is true. Like if you just survive, it can grow on its own, but seeing the momentum that we've had from, you know, that those, those just the bookings alone and the volume of them, like, as you said, like it is. And one of the reasons that I have to learn to not be there is because I physically can't at some point. You're going to fucking drop dead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If we're doing five shows a week, you know, then we'll, you know, that's, that's just not going to be able to occur. But you know, the, the quality of shows and the quality of musicians that are, you know, starting to, you know, be playing down there and seeing the, the room grow that type of way is really, really exciting for sure. Well, I want to ask one last question before we leave has nothing to do with the venue. What was your favorite experience last year on jam cruise? Um, experience. I'll tell you my favorite experience. Uh, My favorite experience was, so we were on Turks and Caicos. Um, it was one of the stops and I'd never gone off the boat before because I always sleep. You kind of have to on jam cruise. It's you pick and choose your battles. Like you're, you can't do everything at once. And, you know, you're docked from, you know, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And music stops at about 6 a.m. And that's like the official music. And then there's still music and whatever. So a lot of the times I'm sleeping from like, you know, 7 to 3 or whatever. Um, but for Turks and Caicos, I really wanted to get off because I'd heard the water's beautiful and I just wanted food that wasn't cruise food. Um, and so, oh, and uh, Beth had... Um, done research and found that we could rent like four by fours and drive the beach. And I was like, okay, I'm in. And like, so we, you know, we went to this, um, we went to this place that served, uh, fish and chips and they did, uh, the fish and chips were with fresh caught snapper and it was just so good by far the best uh, fish and chips I ever had. It was this like, you know, this hut that's like the hut, like bar, like big, big hut, but hut style um, bar. That's like right, literally right on the beach, gorgeous water or whatnot. But anyways, before getting on the boat, um, so it was my and Beth's uh, seven year anniversary, the day that we were sailing away and me being in absolute chaos mode, of course, kept being like I need to get a card and I kept knowing that I needed to do that and kept <laughs> putting not it doing it <laughs> and so we fly you know we fly to Miami and we stay at this really nice hotel we got dinner all that stuff but like I knew like I still need like the card and again just 
like was like, okay, I should go out that night. But I was with her, but I had told her already, like, just so you know, I still need to buy a car. Like I need to go do that. And the next day, like before we got on the cruise, like I went to like the CVS that was nearby and just all the cards were just garbage. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's going to be some stuff at the gift shop, like on, on the boat. I'm like, I'll just buy it on the boat. And so I get on the boat and it's, it's closed for the, like the sail away. So it's not going to be open till the next day. And I'm like, I fucked up. So I go to Beth and I'm just like, I screwed up. I didn't get a card. I'm really sorry. Like, how can I make it up to you? And she was like, okay, I'm going to need you to serenade me with a song at some point of my choosing, like around all of our friends. And she chose one time before <laughs> the Turks and Caicos. <laughs> she chose like 6 a.m. And I was like, I can't remember the lyric. I had decided that the song was going to be um, I Will Show You the World, the, the, the Aladdin song. Yeah. Um, and I was not in the headspace to remember words of a song, much less yeah. just English conversation. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't there. So anyway, so we're on Turks and Caicos. We're, you know, we'd have the fish and chips. We're all hanging on the beach. And Beth goes, I think now, like now's the time. And so I serenade Beth with that song on the beach and, you know, it gets like the entire beach, like paying attention to it and like singing along to the main chorus parts. And so it was just, so that moment is the one that hangs in my head. Beautiful location, anniversary, right on. (laughs) I will show you the world. That's rad. Yeah. Oh man. From a non-singer even. Yes. Again, uh, Beth likes my voice. Would not say that most other people do, but I think that, uh, I think it was enjoyed that day. Luckily, you know, I had people to help on the beach. Right right on. That was All right. Well, what did we learn today, Mel? Your dreams can happen just that one more year. I'm sure at year 14, you're still, you know, like, damn, I want to do this. But you're 15. So just hang on to your dreams and don't stop dreaming them until they come true. Apple? Don't stop. Believing. What else? What else did we That's learn right. today? We learned that Blake is dope. Yeah. Wait, wait, we already knew that. Yeah, we oh, knew that. We knew that already. No, we we well, we learned more about the get down, like the sound so that it just keeps becoming more special to okay. me. Every time we go there, every time we talk to Blake, every time we interact with any of our of the musicians we know or anything, it congratulations, brother. Your dreams coming true, man. Yeah, man. It's, it, just keeps happening and we also learned that Ticketmaster sucks even more yeah so, yeah that yeah. too and yeah. I, I learned that uh mayor sound is in the meyer meyer mayor not john mayer not john yeah, mayer no. yeah. Yeah. oscar Meyer, like yeah. lemons yeah yeah, yeah. Meyer yeah. Lemons. not john mayer oscar <laughs> meyer <laughs> that should be their official slogan <laughs> <laughs> thanks all for right, being everybody. on the show blake we, we love it you was all fun. my pleasure thank you guys we will be back on Monday with another edition of the No Simple Road Weekly Rewind, Rewind. the hardest name to say in podcasting. (laughs) And uh, until then, take care of each other. Smile a stranger. Safety third. Hydrate. Love yourself. And 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 you know what? Don't don't buy tickets from scalpers. Get go go to cash or trade if you can't get on on the thing. All right. Love y'all. Peace.
think But it's a tad bit of strange similarity that feed an A equal A complex The fears of your past do not equal the perplexities of the current road This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.